Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. In the episode today, I have someone here who you will all be very familiar with through her music. Andrea Kaur was part of the Kaur's, that family band um, of three sisters and one brother. But she has now come out with a book that is, I have to say, as I tell her in this interview, a book that I really, really enjoyed and that I was surprised by. And I don't mean that in a patronising way, but it's a memoir, um, but I think it's quite a literary memoir. And I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting um, the books that we've read a lot by people who are in bands and then they tell their stories. But it's different. It's an exercise in coming to terms with and making sense of life and mortality following the loss of her beloved father. It's a reflection on a journey with her siblings that most of us can't even imagine through the music industry. And it's also musings and meditations on family, creativity, uh, music, and there's a lot of love in it and a lot of hope. There's poems, there's photographs. It's sometimes quite funny and it's really deeply personal. It's exactly the book that Andrea Kaur wanted to write, not necessarily the book that Kaur's fans might have wanted her to write. But I was delighted to welcome her in uh, to the studio to talk to her about that. And here she is, Andrea Kaur, talking about her book, Barefoot Pilgrimage. Andrea, thank you for coming in. Thank you, Rosine. Uh I picked up your book the other day and I don't know, it's terrible when you have um, preconceptions of things because you think, oh, there's somebody who's writing about their life. She's not a writer. She's a pop star or, you know, a singer, a musician. So I didn't know what I was expecting. I mean, I was hoping to enjoy it because I think your story is great and, and I love the chorus and all that sort of stuff. But um, I I absolutely loved this book so much and I, I don't mean to sound so surprised. This is the... You know, I don't want to be like, oh, I can't believe it. But I wasn't expecting it to be so literary and so, um, you know, there was, there's a lot in it to unpick and there's uh, a lot. It left me with a lot of questions, but that's no harm as well, you know. Mm. And you weren't, you were giving so much, but you weren't giving everything. And it was, a, it's a book that's very much on your terms, I think. But most of all, it was just such a poetic, spiritual, kind of uh, lovely glimpse at a life, which has been quite extraordinary and and in other ways has been quite ordinary. Mm. Um, and I don't want to do a, too much of a big preamble here, but I, I just wanted to say to you, first of all, that I really, really enjoyed it and well done. Thank you. And thanks for writing it as well, because it just touches on so many important things. Thank so, you. There you go. Thank you. That's, That's the first bit. When you read a book by somebody who's been in a band and they're telling the story of their life, you expect a certain type of formulaic book. Yes. Where you're going to get all, you know, the gossip about what somebody's done and the big stories, the big stories of famous people. And, all, you know, there's yeah. a certain thing you expect. I just wasn't expecting to to just lie back in my bed and, and start a book that I actually, you know, I was actually thinking if I didn't know that you were in a band and I didn't know anything about the cores. Yeah. I would really like this book anyway. Mm. So 
I am surprised by that because mm. I wasn't expecting that. And I think yeah. that's okay. I don't think that's an insult. No, that's lovely. So anyway, I, I just loved it. I, I just, I, I think it's interesting though that you, I think I've read you talking about it uh, somewhere else saying that you had real moments of doubt. Would you talk to me a bit about that, about being a singer, being something else, but also having a love for writing and a love for literature mm. and wanting to express that, but how the doubt comes in at that point? Well, I suppose the doubt only came in when I realised it, it kind of could be a book. Um, before then, there was no doubt because it was, it was, it was recording what was to me uh, suddenly I had a perspective on what was a remarkable story, a story of, of our house and our home and our parents. And then, you know, then the journey we took together. Um, but I was writing that because of grief and because of, you know, I think when, you know, when your parents die, you are face to face with your own mortality and thinking if, if I go, um, does the story go too? So I have to write it down. But then when it gets got to the point where, you know, I'd got brought it, brought it to my manager and went and that, I think he he ran with it and then met publishers. And um, but then when I realized it's probably is a book, that's when the doubt came in because and, and I had an amazing moment, actually, when I had that. Um, because as you, as, as you know, it's written in a different way. It's not written. It is written stream of consciousness. It's written as we do remember things, you know, as we're doing something in the present and something triggers a memory and we go back. So it's not conventional and not a conventional memoir anyway. And um, so then when I thought of it as then it was going to be a book, I had, yeah, a moment in it where I went, uh, Oh, as we, I think we all do. Oh, everybody does. Yeah. <laughs> Where you go, what is this? This is crap. What am I doing? This isn't a book. And put it down and went, walked away from it. And then walked towards the book I was reading, the real book, which was Paul Auster's 4321. And he and where I had left it that morning was at the point where they were talking about sport. Right. And then I had the page turned on where I move on to at that moment. So this is my moment of doubt. I, I unt up, over, take the page up and then that whole page, I actually took a picture of it. So it's somewhere <laughs> is a, um, is it is where the character realizes that he has to be a writer. And he talks of Dostoevsky and crime and punishment and Dickens. And I, it felt like a prompt. Mm -hmm. It felt like I'm, I'm not allowed to walk away from this, <laughs> you yeah. know. So which was which was, yeah, thankfully, thankfully that happened. And I happened to open that page that day. And the book starts with you sort of it's very honest because you are admitting straight away that for some people, this will not be the book that you wanted to read. This won't be the book that I sort of described earlier. Mm. You know, here's the story of the cores and here's all this in, in you yeah. know, chronological order and here's all the bits of gossip that people want or behind yeah. the scenes stories. Um, and you also talk about the fact that you are a, a person being a singer. You have this um, desire to be liked. I think you call it singeritis or something yeah. like that. And that must be difficult to putting down your innermost thoughts with that swirling around. You know, I want people to like me. Yeah, well, it's that's impossible. You know, I think it's like. 
you know, it's like it's like when you're acting, you know, if you're self-conscious, that's that's the enemy. And if you're writing about yourself and you're you're hoping to be liked, that's the enemy, too. Um, so I, I couldn't think of a reader. I thought of and I, I, I obeyed the pictures that came. I was faithful to them and I, I went, OK, I'm writing that down. So who did you think of? You weren't thinking of a reader. You were just um, expressing everything that came. Yeah, I wasn't thinking of a reader. I was thinking of, I was, I was recording the story. And, but also I just, then it took off. Then I was getting, you know, I was blinded by images of, of the past. And, and, and which was wonderful at times. And then obviously at others, it, it was sad. Um, but, uh, it, it took off from, from me basically saying, I need to record this. Dad wrote his memoir too, and his dad wrote his before him. And I thought this generation is pretty interesting. So I, um, so that, that was why I was doing it. It really is. I mean, it's a love. It's a love letter to your mum and dad, to your siblings, mm. to the people in your lives, like your manager John Hughes, mm. uh, Caroline Henry gets a lovely um, yeah. shout out. It's Cara Hen. Um, so it really is a celebration of those very close uh, relationships and a celebration of life too, and yeah. of appreciation. So tell me about uh, two of the main figures in the book about um, Jean and and Jerry, your mum and dad. I mean, they were kind of extraordinary people in their zest for life and their musicality and the fact that they were out there making money from making a living from music as well mm. um, and in other ways quite a traditional home too but what is your overriding memory of that of that childhood home it was uh, well for me from my perspective of, of as I talk in it of having no worries um, it was it was fantastic it was great fun it was very funny and uh, a lot of laughing. Um, but there was a magic to it as well because of the music that, that there's a soundtrack always going on. Like even in the writing of it, I can hear the songs. And now in the reading of it, I can hear them, you know. So it's there. It, it was it was a normal, probably ordinary family doing extraordinary things but fundamentally it was a really loving family and I think as I mention our brother Jared in in retrospect the appreciation of each member of a family um, is probably heightened because of their loss. Well, tell us about Jared, because that was something I actually didn't know about you. Mm. Um, you had a little brother and he was only nearly four, I think, yeah. when he died. The day that Sharon came home from hospital? It was in the first week, yeah, that yeah. she'd been brought home from hospital. Um, yes, uh, Jared was born next after Jim. And, and in, the, in, yeah, in, the, in, the, in the week that they brought Sharon home from hospital... Uh, he she was killed on the on the road. You ran out. He ran out after a ball. Mammy was showing Sharon off to um, to her aunt Ma- Maureen, and he 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 avoided the locked gates, our locked gates, and got over another one. Went out after a ball, and the car did stop. But thinking that thinking Jared would stay where he was, he 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 hit him when he moved off again, and obviously where he hit him was fatal. Um. And which is obviously tragic for that man, too. Uh, So, yeah, so that 
that I am very aware of now when I look back. It's there in the love. It's there in, in how precious it all is. Um, it's there in the fear. It's there in Mammy's fear. And yeah, so that's, 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 he is a, he is part of us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you sort of mentioned, I think, a little bit about what a different band it would have been because with Jared had yeah. been there, you can imagine that. He was a really good singer. And yeah. he used to, when I talk about the bumping chair in this, he, he's, he started the bumping, I think. I didn't see him do it. Obviously, we all went to do the same thing. But he did it too. He loved, yeah, he was a good singer. And yeah. Um, so tell me about uh, the whole thing of getting to be a family that does music because I'm not saying it wasn't accidental. It kind of feels like it was almost going to happen. It was always going to mm. be there. I mean, there was you have the tin whistle and, and there was the drums and there was... And, and Jim was such a... I mean, he was just sort of prodigious in a way, like from an early age. Yeah. He, had, he had the music going on. And was he more the one with the ambition in that way? Oh, yes, definitely. Because, I mean, I was in my teens. <laughs> I wasn't really ambitious. Um, I, yeah, so no, well, it certainly wasn't me. Um, Jim, yeah, Jim was, and he was obsessed with the music. He was obsessed. He wanted to do it all the time. And, uh, yeah, and that... That's the brother I knew growing up with. And so it seems normal in a house. But now looking back on it, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and he, was, he was and is extraordinary. Um, I just thinking, there's, there's so many little snippets in the book that, I, again, um, I don't want to say surprised by, but it, which just show me that you are um, a really good writer, that you, I, I hope you write more. That's what I really feel like. And I hope you, I really felt reading it that you've got definitely a novel. There's something in there. There's a lovely voice, you know, that you could easily translate away from, from memoir. But like there was things like uh, you slept in the same bed with Caroline. Yes. You called each other the twin, twinsters, I think. Twin twisters. Twin yeah. twisters. Because you were so close in age. Yeah. But you write about this, <laughs> about her making her side of the bed. Yeah, she did it. I'm just not a joke. <laughs> Actually, she did it. And it was you, phenomenal. But there's a lovely um, moment where you write about that. That's beautiful as well. Um, and you also are very interesting on kind of women's role in life because your mom obviously was there as the kind of matriarch of the family. But you talk about your dad's mom, Alice, I think. Mm, yes. Um, and that, you know, the women who don't get a chance to go out in the world and sort of do what they might be doing because... What do we, yeah. What if we... Yeah. They were just told, like, make, as you call them, little Catholic babies. I think she had 10 yeah. children. But I, yeah. I loved the sort of um, your musings on that and your thoughts on women and their role. Yeah, well, I, I do find it. And, and then in the writing of it, I'm delving into that and thinking about it and thinking about Ireland and our ways. And to think, who has suffered ultimately? You know, who, who feels the loss? of of women's a woman women's voice in the past the present does not the you know not the present does and and if we don't change it the future will feel the loss and i i i feel when i look back on alice and they are true stories of her you know obviously having all those children um the you know not serving Serving, not sitting down to eat with the family, serving, waiting, as I call her, a womb with no view. But she, at the same time, was happy. I don't want to create like a monster of James or anything like that. They were the Irish times 
pardon the pun. <laughs> and and as I say, and I do put it in that way, that shortchanged men too. That didn't just shortchange women. Men not getting to push their own babies, men not feeding them, men not those little domestic acts of kindness every day was a loss for men. No, I think it's it's really well put. And I, I just to quote one line and you say, if a woman, never mind a mother, was exposed in the open, they might be stolen or fly away. Yeah. And I love the way you bring that into sort of bodily autonomy as well. You kind mm. of link that into then our own uh, fight that we had in this country yes. around um, abortion and the idea that, you know, women didn't own their own bodies, didn't own their own agency, their own stories. Well, you know what? It's like it. it I find it insulting to that anybody would think that somebody, that a woman would take a choice such as that choice was so lightly. And if we were given the choice, if we were given this, we might just, just keep doing it every day. Oh, sure, Jesus, who cares? Right? And to take away the weight of that decision. And sometimes, you know, the, the survival instinct of that decision, I find it, I suppose I use humour to highlight how insulting and how demeaning it was and is to us as people and human beings and equals. Uh, You know, I think that, you know, I go, you know, yes, so you keep the woman in the home so the home stays okay, right? You don't need to keep the man in the home because if you want to keep one of them and, you know, because she's, she's, she won't make a decision. Somebody will just steal her. She doesn't make a choice or she just float away. You know, and I just, I, I, I just find that, that idea that we would, we can't be given the choice because we won't know what choice to make is insulting. Another interesting theme running through it, I think, and it comes back a lot in various different ways, is religion. Is the Catholic religion, particularly like your mum's view Mm. of it and your own view? Because there's one scene which I really found very interesting where you're in a confession. You decide to go to (laughs) canoe. I know, I just loved it. And it's the image of you and the priest kind of maybe recognising you. I'm thinking of him, for him. Um, But you kind of had this line to the priest where you said, um, I can't hold my head up high in the church anymore. And you were obviously struggling with your inner sort of questions about your faith because you were like a mass on Sunday family weren't you and oh, it was yeah. very and the rosaries mentioned very early on as well but well, that wasn't a, that was Violet our oh, next yeah, door neighbour but yeah. it was there in your kind of ether yeah um, so tell me about that sort of struggle because you also talk about kind of not wanting to ditch God and not wanting to throw it out well I, I do I suppose I put it in as as religion can give God a bad name and it really does um, you know the the practices and and even Things that have gone on and still go on uh, in some ways are um, so flawed and at times cruel and very, very um, discompassionate and empathetic and loving. It's not like a father. Like, you know, if, if God is a father, do you know any father that looks and goes, you're loving that too much, stop it. Right. You know, it's it's that's not how we look and that's not how a father looks. So I believe in God. But the religion that I was brought up with and the one I know is Catholicism. And I think there are beautiful sides to it because God is there, too. God is there as well. Not saying he's not Muslim, 
you know i'm saying that that they, they are just the they're what that's what we've been born into and i do love churches but i yes i i did rant at that poor priest in confession <laughs> god love him and 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 he didn't he didn't quite get it he did literally go oh no and i realized god i'm breaking his heart um <laughs> And your uh, mom had s- sort of questions too, as well. Well, even because she was she knew, she was closer to that, to that uh, kind of dictator on the pulpit than I had been. You know, it had gotten friendlier, but they, you could be shamed in Sunday mass. You know, so her that is literally her words were it would make me panic. Sitting there made me panic. I said like panic. Is a, is a, quite a word. If it wasn't. I wasn't comfortable. It made me panic. What's that about? So I, I, uh, that's what that is what she said. Um, but I, I feel so. So I gave out to the priest, obviously, about you know women being told at one, one on one hand to have all little baby Catholics into the world and then having to be cleansed when they've done so and where's the cleansing for the men um, but you know I just feel it's just I feel that 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 shame and that shame that was given is 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 not loving The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition Sumptuously Smooth Dark Chocolate Um, let's talk a bit about your musical career because it's such an amazing story from when you're in New York and you go into the offices. Who was that that you kind of, you sort of your manager brought you in there? You weren't, didn't yeah. have an appointment. Mm. It's like a really great, you know, story of, of coming to fame and, and very natural too. you know, just yeah. a young family. There's so much love. I mean, there's one bit in it where you're, I don't know where you are, the White House maybe, and Paul McCartney is watching you sing The Long and Winding Road. Yeah. Like, that to me, it just jumped out at me as a... <laughs> Flipping heck! I mean, that's massive. You know, do you when you look back on it now, is it just kind of? I mean, there were so many planes and, and you know all that traveling yeah. and stuff. But are you able? Do you sort of pinch yourself? Like, what does it feel like having gone through an experience like that? I know it's just a normal experience for you, so it's it's hard to. It kinda... doesn't. It's not a normal experience now when I'm looking back on it. Okay. It's certainly not when I'm writing about it. Now I do really see the wonder of it. I see the wonder of it all. Um, that when you're in it. As everybody doesn't, you 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 are moving. It is in it is in motion, and when it's in motion, you're not pausing. <laughs> so uh, literally, so I think that's that's why that you know I think, but I, yeah, I mean I was aware that the Paul McCartney was standing there when we were, and also and where was it the White House that one or was that it was else? the Palace actually? Oh yeah. sorry, sorry darling, well, that so, was the okay, Palace. Um, White House, get your venues palace. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's crazy. I mean, that's and you beat some Beatles records, or you matched them, or something, didn't you? In terms of sales and yeah. in terms of having albums at the top of the charts and for how long? And so you were. It was mega. I yeah, mean, it was at that time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Did it have any detrimental effects on you? One bit I thought was very interesting when you talked about the constant commentary around 
you and your sisters yes. and how you looked, whether this one was better looking than the other one. No, no, that's the good looking one. That's yes. not the good one. And I think it was a really nice piece the way you, again, you, you, all these things are vignettes that you don't go into depth really into, um, well, I mean, what I mean is you don't talk for pages and pages about any of these things. You're very succinct. There's a little piece about that where you talk about the toll that takes, you know, and you say, I always thought my sisters were prettier. Mm. Um, but this was something you had to live with. What was that like being that those people? Well, I, I I think about it now, like I was more confident when I was 15 to when we were in the, when the band got going. It made me self-conscious. And no wonder it made me self-conscious because people were pointing at me and calling me, saying what you are in comparison to your, you're this, you're my favourite, you're the one, you're beautiful, you're the minx, which I think is really weird to say to a family while you're standing beside your brother. And um, but all of it, in, in, in honesty, I think that not that people are meaning to be mean, but you don't somehow put yourself in those shoes. What family, when they're grown adults, gets pigeonholed and picked apart like that? Yeah. You're a grown adult. And also, it's really uncomfortable. Somebody's just been rejected and they did nothing for it. They didn't say, oh, well, I don't like your looks anyway or either. Actually, I think that guy over there beside you is actually much better looking. You know, I, I don't, it's, it's, uh, it, as I say, it came to be a daily treat. Um, it's, it, it was, it, that was uncomfortable. And again, it is why we played so much at the same time. Because, as you can see from the book, this was authentic. This was not about our looks. And and yet, that that at times was the focus. Is that inevitable in a way? It's just and even more now, I suppose. It's funny if the cores were now. I mean, it would be on a whole other level, Kardashian level. I think. <laughs> oh, that's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, there might be a reality TV show in your home in Dundalk or something like that. Would be amazing. Oh, <laughs> when you when it all when that whole I mean, circus sounds like a bad word, but when that whole kind of dream or whatever it was um, and it was very busy and it was very successful when it came to an end when it came to a sort of a natural end people started to get married and have children and that was going to be kind of you know the, yes. you weren't going to be able to spend as much time together <clears throat> did that feel like a bit of a loss it, I got a little bit of a sense not at the time right <laughs> I was okay, delighted funny. well that's good I kind of had a sense that there was because you weren't they you know it wasn't, well, you weren't having babies at that time right so I, there was you are obviously because uh, everybody else is comparing you are comparing as well because you can't help it so I suppose there was to me going I suppose you know my sister's both married and which is probably the same in every family yeah. you know and I was you know when most people were getting getting married I was breaking up with somebody <laughs> so I, I, there was a time in my life where I was feeling a bit of a mess um, in that regard, for Again, sure. we all have that. We all have that. But you know that <laughs> yeah. the breaking up when everybody's getting married is, is, is particularly <laughs> stinging. Yeah. Um, but, and so, so yes, I suppose there is, there, there is a sense and I suppose you can feel it and hear it in, in, the, in the book that, 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 yes, I am quite, oh, yeah. But, but at the same time, we were, we were, we needed. We, we, need, we needed to break. Yeah, we were. We were like it was. Thank God for the babies. Yeah, you needed to be free and be yourself. Did it have a sense of coming to know Andrea on your own terms? Yeah, absolutely. 
And as much as I didn't, you know, and also it it led it led to ultimate gratitude about for what we had. You know, I wanted to get out of we talk and then I realized the we was something to miss. You're very exposed on your own. Um and so it that that it gave plenty of time to reflect on on what was good about it. Yeah. Uh, you you were in a play, I think, because you did go and do a good bit of acting and you were, you know, well acclaimed for that. And it's obviously another very talented woman with the writing and the acting and the singing and the tin whistle playing. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> um, but you were in a play, I think, in London when you kind of got together with your now husband. Mm. And he said something interesting where he had never, he'd liked you in the past, but because he was a friend of your brother's. Yeah. And he'd liked you in the past, but he thought you'd be in the corner writing poetry about death. So we didn't think you'd be interested. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of quite the observation about somebody, isn't it? It's so accurate, actually. <laughs> I probably was in my head, you know, yeah. but I, I actually wasn't. No, I was certainly not in the corner writing poetry about death. But really, that is who I was. You know, it's like all of this is about death. It's about life, too, because there is no life without death or death without life. So, you know, that's so he was right in a way. And I suppose that's what I kind of discover and think that. That's probably maybe that's what love is, recognizing that no, that is who you are. You just don't know it yet. Did he bring another side out of you that sometimes happens in relationships or the one that actually ends up being the long term relationship? Did he allow you to sort of explore a side of yourself that you hadn't maybe in other relationships? Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, well, I think the... Um, I think the best relationships are always those that that, you know, you know, you think you've won the prize being with them and they think they've won the prize being with you. And and um, also that that somebody blossoms in, in your love, you know, so I think I, I think it's fair enough to say I've, I've been able to fulfill what and express what's going on with me creatively and I that's why I've been in the relationship with him yeah so yes that's good yeah um, you mentioned death it seems it is a preoccupation and it is a big thing of this book You're, I mean it was written not too long after your dad had died but yeah. also the big heart of the book is, is your is your mother and she died so young like she was only mm. 57, 57 which yeah. is just like my mum is 80 now and I was thinking that when I was reading that I was thinking of all that time which I know you years. must all yeah. this time you would have had with her and it's just and you say it like that your dad never stopped missing your mum and you will never stop missing them it's really did you want to kind of like I mentioned it as a sort of a love letter was it really important to get that love down and to talk about what it was about her that made that relationship so special well it, it, again it wasn't that that was important but it is what came and and it is what I uh, what what I what I'm most thrilled about now, you know. I I the way it is, and what I say in the in the dear reader reader letter at the beginning, which I did write at the very end of the book, uh, when I completed the book, um, th- that that when on my on my first draft, the first thing that I ever gave to our manager, uh, John. I was like, Mammy was barely there. And I did think I'd forgotten her, but not forgotten, not forgotten her, like, but forgotten what it's like to be in a room with her, 
to blissfully take her for granted, as we all do, our great mothers. You know, that's that's love. And and um, she, yeah, but she did come back to me and I was overwhelmed with with images and stories of her and also musing about her and what she must have felt being a singer in that band, The Sound Affair, in a time where this was different. What was she seeing in the mirror when she put her rollers on and her hair before she went out? What was her truth in the words she sang? And, and I just, I feel mum was so wonderful and I feel in a way that those, those years were stolen. It's how it goes, happens to so many, obviously. But uh, she has a voice now. I like that idea. So. That her voice comes through because yeah. she's very alive. I mean, yeah. I didn't know her. I never met her. But I honestly have a, a really vivid, <laughs> you know, and and it's more not necessarily because there's lovely pictures of her. and, and that, Oh, that's yes, all, yes. But it's more the spirit of her. That's yeah. I think there's one story of her setting the Irish Times on fire. Yeah, do you like that one? Yes, very good. Uh, Tell us about that. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Daddy, yes. So mum was, yeah. So I, I go through a few anecdotes of mummy with daddy being in the doghouse and, you know, mummy getting frustrated with him and uh, so anyway one day she's yeah one evening they're sitting in front of the fire and I remember just hearing this story to be honest I obviously wasn't there but the the Irish Times Daddy had the Irish Times open front of her face right and you know the way that's yeah. coughing <laughs> the flicking cough and it was like oh you know and obviously I could see it from mum's perspective because mammy was uh, a feminist underneath it all, was as, I suppose, how could you not be? You know, I suppose the wonder is that when men are feminists, I suppose that's what makes you think. (laughs) But men are feminists, which is wonderful, thank God. Um, But uh, yeah, so it's flicking and coughing and and, uh, all big Irish men. You know, I can imagine what she was thinking going, oh, the big man reading the big weighty stories. And uh, anyway, so she lit a match and, and also there it was, the glare of it in her face, the, the rudeness of it, right? How dare he? So she, she lit a match and burnt it from the, like, from, the, from the bottom seam up and his hand still holding either side. <laughs> you are quite a hot newspaper, I have to be saying. Um, that's a great story, but it really shows her mischievous side. And like you said, the firebrand in her, she wasn't putting up with that. Yes. No, she was. She was. A, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. They really could fight like because she would. And but they would they would explain it. She would explain it. I remember one time she explained it to me when I was going, why are you always fighting with daddy? I mean, why we always blamed our poor mothers. Yeah. <laughs> I do have my comeuppance now, though. Um, <laughs> but she, yeah. Um, why are you always fighting with daddy? was saying to her and she'd say you only see the fight Pandy you never see the making up and you know and then one other time she said to me and my my next door neighbour was Paul and he was my best friend and she would say and she was going see the way Andrea you fight with Paul because like some days (laughs) me and Paul I don't know what would have happened but we wouldn't be we wouldn't be talking and um, she goes and then I suddenly considered her like that she could possibly be finding Daddy like Paul that day, or you know what I mean, or vice versa. And even the people you love can be really annoying. Like, so you've yeah, got that and message. you also you're gonna fall out. Yeah. But I suppose the time to worry is when you're not fighting. 
Yeah, I love. It's when you really don't mind if another, somebody thinks wrong of you. Another one of those beautiful little lines in it was, I think you say, "Sure, after all, isn't fighting just another step, almost in the dance of your yeah. relationship?" Yeah, that did make me feel a bit better as someone who's a bit shouty at home. Oh, as well. good, good. You're just like a good dancer. <laughs> I think so. I think I'm an excellent dancer. Um, there is a lot of sadness in here. There is really funny bits. It's sort of dark humour and, and funny. But you do talk about your miscarriages and you talked mm. about them on the Late Late Show and there was a big response to it. You write about it again very, I can say beautifully, but I do think it's beautiful and, and very insightfully, I think. I think anyone who's experienced that will kind of understand exactly what you're saying. Was it important to you to kind of set that down as well? Did that come as something that needed to be part of the story? Yes, because again, it's not. it wasn't for a reader. And if it's not for a reader, then, uh, you know, uh, and if I'm not considering that and I'm but yet I'm writing my story, how can I leave that out? It's it's a, it's a big part and it has been, a, a, you know, it's it's it, it's a changing moment. It's a pivotal moment because, you know, that that where I where I go, the time where I stop reaching, because when I, I had two before I had before I had Jean. Jean and Brett. So then I had the two babies in a row. So the two were the mo- most difficult because then I think uh, maybe I'll never be a mother. But then I had three after. And then I had to stop for my own sanity. And because, and I did see that that thing of like once I stopped reaching for something I couldn't have, I saw what I did have. So it's too important in my suppose spiritual growth to leave out. Yeah. Um, and have you had much reaction? People talking to you about it? Have read the book yet? Or? Yes, there's there's a lot. And uh, people really grateful that I wrote it, which is really lovely. Um, and and obviously can relate to it. You'd be surprised how many, you know, people um, have actually experienced this and um, or, or like it. And we all just keep quiet about it. Why do you think it is? I mean, I know in some ways why it is, but is there some sense there's a, I don't know for you, did it feel a sense of failure? Did it feel like you weren't living, your body wasn't doing what it should do? And and is there that kind of shame around it still or some kind of idea that, you know, yeah, like you're failing as a woman? I think there must be. I mean, I, I can't really quite decipher what's, what is the feeling because there's, there's such a mixture of them. Um... Because obviously it's just, it's just, it's, a, it's the hope. That's the problem. It's the hope and the dreams and how we as human beings just create a whole life in within minutes, <laughs> you know, in our heads. And um, so I think, but I think the, you know, obviously, and I, I like the way we are as Irish people. We're not sharers, you know what I mean? Thanks for sharing. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> thanks for reaching out. Andrea. Thanks for reaching out. Really good to reach out. Um, thank you. But <laughs> no. you spent too long in America. That was scarily good. The look in your eyes. Right. Oh God. <laughs> no horrible. Sorry. But we don't. Yeah, we don't share. Mm-hmm. But we do share. But we um, at the same time, I do think it is because there's a fear. So you're also also dealing with fear. You, if you articulate something, you might be actually realizing there could be a problem here, and actually there could be no babies. You know what I mean? And so you're, you're, you know what I mean? 
It's making it even more real. So I think it's that. I think, yes, I think we all think we're going to just go get married and then suddenly there's a you know, load of Catholic babies around you. Um, but I, uh, and I don't know. I think it's fear. And I think, yeah, I think it's important. I think, I think, yeah, maybe we are ashamed of our own bodies letting us down mm. and um, letting our husband down. Not that they ever make you feel that, but women feel that. There's no doubt. And Brett and, and Jean are now in the world and lovely and you've moved back to Dublin. Why yes. was it important to come back to Ireland? Because you've lived in London, in Washington and your husband's work and your work you know, takes you in different places. Nobody gets my sense of humour anywhere else. <laughs> no, uh, really, it was. I mean, ultimately, we did want to. Uh, all, we always did want to educate the children here, and you know, I find it everywhere I've gone around the world. It is. It is a blessing to be Irish. We are welcomed because we're Irish. That's that's quite a gift to give, and I don't want to take that away from them. And I don't think you can export it. I think I don't think you can export Irishness. I think you are it because you're living in it. And um, and I'm so happy since we've come back, to be honest, as much as I loved our lives. and I loved my life in London. But the children are little Irish people in themselves. And that, it, that's it's it's becoming even more apparent. Do me. they not have your like they their know. posh English accents now? They still do. But we'll you know, get that I, out of them, I, don't yeah. worry. I <laughs> bring them up to Dundalk. <laughs> them, say Perk. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, bring them up to Dundalk. Yeah. But yes, no, I, I actually recorded them when they got home to say to see how quickly it will change. Um, but no, also, also, I think it's it's terribly competitive in 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 London. Um, which is where we were. For the Schools children. wise. Yes, yeah. they, they're tutoring kids to get into primary, first year, the beginning of their education. Like I do know a woman who tutored her kids to get into a school and they were they were three. Mm. So that's, and that's not, that's not reacted to like the way you've reacted there. Yeah. That's, that has become normal. And it's like, to me, it's like, it's like steroids in the sport world. Mm. So tutoring is, how can your child keep up in a class where somebody has two extra hours a week yeah. on what you haven't. It's the steroids, it's the tutoring. And, and I, so I, I just, personally for me, I don't mind if they are an astronaut, a member of Mensa. Uh, <laughs> you know, I want little kind people to walk into a room and people are happy they came in the room. Yeah. I want that. And I want them to have a lovely, happy life. And I don't want them to lose their childhood worrying about school at four, five years old. What about um, the artist, Andrea, as in the writer, the songwriter? You know, you had your solo album. Um, you're very good on that. Like you, you, something you really wanted to do. It wasn't necessarily, you know, the, a big commercial success. But, mm. um, and also your own album, the, the comeback with the chorus. People wanted to give you songs that they'd written and things like that. Yes. You're, I like the way you're quite, you know, artistically, like you want to do your own thing. Well, that was the point of it. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't come into this. I certainly didn't rejoin it to, like, I've come into this for the writing. I sing because of the writing. And, and you know, I, so, and particularly on that comeback record, we're, like, you're doing it because of what you create together. That's what I thought was unique. 
I don't think it unique was unique getting a song from a songwriter and then us performing it. That's not I like I just found and also we were so broken hearted at that time. You're like our hearts were broken and the songs had come from there. So to be given a, a, a pop song that doesn't reflect that at all um, and is clearly for, for commercial success, which it would not have been because everybody gets it when you're not telling the truth, right? And everybody would have seen through it. And so I, you know, I, I just find it, you know, I don't know. I think it's because... Again, maybe it's the aesthetic thing, but sometimes we did not get the, dispe- the respect we've deserved. And, and, and maybe that's big, partly because we're made up of three fam- females, one male. Maybe it is the way we look. Um, but I don't, yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think we were under a lot of pressure on that record, White Light. And fortunately, it's a great record and I, I'm really, really pleased with it. Um, but, yeah. What about um, you now then, artistically? So will we see more books? Will we see more music? What's going on? Or are you kind of concentrating on being a parent and, and raising your kids? <laughs> well, I've been concentrating on being a parent while I've done this. Yeah, you see, you're able to and the house. Tour. It's amazing. Well, yeah, as I say, as I show in it, it doesn't all go smoothly. <laughs> But I, um, to be honest, all I kind of pray is that is that um, that I keep finding my way because I didn't intend to do this, mm. but I'm really happy I did. So I just pray that I'm inspired to 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 do whatever it is I should do next. <laughs> who do you admire now, Andrea? Whether it's books, because I know you read a lot. So what yeah. what are you reading? Who are you liking? Or just culturally, what's going on in your oh. Well, I mean, I, I love Joseph O'Connor and I got to meet him today. So I am, ah. I am just like, I... Because you mentioned really, Star of the Sea. In the yes, well, yeah. but I love, I really love all his books. But Star of the Sea is where it began for me. Um, I love his latest one. I love it too. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, so, um, but, and I, you know, I love, right at the moment I'm reading Salman Rushdie's new book, which is great. Okay. I'm loving it. And um, so what else? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the classics, but then I, I, often I listen to, the, listen to them on audiobooks because they are like audiobooks, I think, are like an on like a secret world of wonder, a new art that we're not aware of in the world. You hear the best of actors and voices bring a book to life. Well, you and my mother would have a lot in common because she's a total audiobook queen and she's always telling everyone about them the same way. That's what's always on. People think I'm going down the road with headphones (laughs) and listening to music. I'm not. I'm listening to a book. Brilliant. Well, Andrea, I I can't tell you how much I enjoyed it. I mean, it's the kind of thing I'll actually pick up again, read bits of. It's something you've got a really unique voice. It's it's really beautiful. Um, I'm glad you made exactly the kind of book that you wanted, because I think a mark of your whole journey has been that integrity and not being compromised by what other people might have have wanted you to do. Um, So well done. Roisin, thank you. And that really does mean a lot coming from you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much to Andrea Kaur coming in. Uh, I think you hear a very different side to her um, in the book. I'd really urge you to read it. It's great. It's in all good bookshops. It's called Barefoot Pilgrimage and um, it really is 
a very good read. That's all we have time for today. And just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always find us on irishtimes.com. And if you like what you hear, give us a review on iTunes. It all helps. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and with sound, JJ Vernon. I'm Roisin Ingle, and I'll talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> <laughs> 